7.05, and it's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well, and no time to mess around tonight. we got to get right into it, Ira. Uh, we'll talk about where you've been in just a moment. Uh, fun little city for you, place that I love to visit, so we'll talk about that. Um, we've got some massive, massive guests today. Uh, first and foremost, is going to be Darren Prince. Ira, That he's coming on right about 7.10. Why don't you tell us about Darren? Darren is one of the premier sports marketing gurus, agents out there. He has represented Magic Johnson for like 20 years. He's represented uh, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. He has a book out called Aiming High that Mm. I read over the last two days. It's a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, He represents Hulk Hogan, Dennis Rodman. I mean, anybody in sports that is (laughs) that that you think are names, he's representing them. And it's a great story. Uh, His book talks about overcoming addiction, but it's also, even if you're not interested in that type of book, it's in a great sports book. So it Mm. it, it combines both things. I think anybody can read a book. It's on the top uh, list, seller list for Amazon. And I cannot wait to, he's going to tell us some amazing stories. This is uh, yeah, he's a guy that's been at the forefront of putting together the biggest athletes on the planet for a couple of decades. Great guest here on Iron Sports. That's Darren Prince in about five minutes. And then coming up at 725, this should be a great one too. It's Bob Moore, uh, very involved with the Chiefs PR department. Now he's a team historian. And, uh, you know, this guy knows everything about the Chiefs. And this is, is there a more exciting team in the league right now, Iron? So tell us about uh, Bob Moore. Well, Bob's been affiliated with the Chiefs for 25, 30 years. He was the PR director of the team. Now the team historian. I just wanted to bring him on because we talked about in the show I've been to Kansas City for three games. I it's the most passionate NFL fan base. I mean, equivalent to the Packers, Steelers at that level. Mm-hmm. I want him to talk about the team, talk about Arrowhead Stadium, and talk about just the this year's team. And uh, I and I always want to bring out the Joe Montana years because they were pretty cool that the one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time played those mm-hmm. glorious years back then. But I know I've talked to Bob; he's a great guy. And I think the Chiefs right now. I mean, if you play fantasy football and you don't know the Chiefs, you're either you either have Chief players and you're winning games, or you don't have them and you're losing games. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Uh, Mahomes, this guy just doesn't stop. I'm lucky to have Travis Kelsey. At least I get a little piece of this pie. But it's just been absolutely absurd. Uh, then that'll be a right about 7:25 when Bob Moore joins us. Darren Prince in about uh, five minutes. Before we, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the Steelers. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, the door is kind of closing on his return now, isn't it, Ira? And you know, looking around the league. James Conner is doing just as good as anybody else. So what's you know what are you hearing right now about Le'Veon Bell? Well, Le'Veon Bell tweeted a few minutes ago or a few hours ago that said, farewell Miami. He's had no contact, though. That's where he's training. He has no contact at all with anybody at the Steelers. Um, before, he had been telling them he was going to show up. Uh, if he comes in and plays, he's going to get for six year, six weeks of uh, seven weeks of football, but they can actually not pay him for two weeks. So he's really going to get he, gets, he earns about a million a week. So he's going to lose another two million dollars. The question he sat at all this time this long, why would he come back? The Steelers can't franchise him. It doesn't work if they franchise him and they can transition tag him, which means that if he signs with another team, they can match it uh, or else they get compensation for, for next year. This could be one of the worst moves in the history of football by an agent. I mean, he's got to play this right. I don't know. I mean, we won't know if it works <laughs> out until next year when he signs the contract. But uh, I think the Steelers, I my prediction is he does come back and the Steelers sign him for at least for the, the games because you just don't know if Connor's going to get injured or hurt or whatever. Odds in your head, odds that Le'Veon Bell is a Steeler next year. None. 
Zero percent. Zero percent next year, but I think he'll play this year. I think that it's just the, the because the Steelers have a Connor uh, under contract next year for like a million dollars a year. Why pay Lavian fifteen million yeah. when you have a guy? If you look at the number right now, James Connor is second in the lead in rushing. Anybody who watched him plays at four straight hundred yard games. He is. He's good. He is playing. He's not. And everyone says always oh, no Lavian Bell. There's a point where he's now looking better than Le'Veon Bell. And I know that's how everyone's here to say. You can't say that. It's awful. But he is breaking tackles. He runs He runs a different style, which yeah. means he attacks the line. It's easier for offensive linemen to block because when you're just waiting for Le'Veon to dance around, that's one thing. But now you don't have to hold your block so long. And he's catching balls. He's doing everything Le'Veon Bell's, and he's a bigger, stronger running back. That'd be the only – I mean, Le'Veon is just a freak of nature receiving the ball out of the backfield. You know, he can, he can catch 80, 90 balls a year. Most running backs are lucky to get 20 to 40 so that is definitely the difference but if I'm taking a small step back from Le'Veon Bell and saving 14 million dollars a year without the head case and all the antics that come with Le'Veon Bell it's an easy decision for me it's 710 Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel I'm Mike Balsamo it's time to bring in Darren Prince this is going to be a great guest Ira Darren I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports hey man thanks for having me no, we appreciate that. We appreciate you being here. So, uh, tell us a little bit about you know your background, how you got involved in sports. And I know, I know, it, I don't want to age you, but it goes back. <laughs> it goes back a few decades. How did you get involved? You know, your first foot in the door in sporting. Um, when I was fourteen years old in nineteen eighty four, I um, I started a baseball card company. I eventually turned into a very big multi million dollar. Uh, mail order baseball card company. I was traveling around the country as a teenager doing trade shows. And one day towards, uh, I guess I would say maybe towards the end when I started getting like an appetite to do more, I noticed uh, they were bringing in different athletes, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Reggie Jackson, Muhammad Ali. And I was so amazed about the line of people that would wait for these athletes to get an autograph or a picture. And I eventually involved into a sports and entertainment memorabilia company. We sold and developed our own merchandise, and we also started booking athletes and celebrities. And I eventually sold that company in 1995, started Prince Martin Group, the agency, and Magic Johnson was my first client and still is. Pretty crazy how that all worked out. I so, Darren, I spent the last day reading your book, Aiming High. Um, it is absolutely a tremendous book. Anybody that's interested in sports should read this book because your connections with Magic and Ali and Frazier, the stories you tell are riveting. And even if you're not that interested in sports, talking about overcoming addiction and opiates, which is the number one topic in, uh, out in, 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 in public today, uh, is just very close to the heart. And it's, it's a great book. I loved how you talked about sports in the book and it was and just interspersed everything spice everything with your opiate addiction how and you're meeting with Ali and you're trying to overcome your addiction at the same time and meeting with Frazier it's just a perfect book I highly recommend this book it's in the top 100 at Amazon um, and uh, it's it called Aiming High and it's, it's just a fantastic book and the question I have is why did you decide like what was the thinking that you're going to at this time in your life write this type of book that I think a lot of people will find very helpful it's a great question it comes up a lot you know but this opiate epidemic getting worse and worse. My father passed away about a year and a half ago. We were very close, as you saw if you read the book. Um, and he always wanted me to tell the Ollie Frazier story, being one of you know two people on this planet that uh, had the outright privilege of getting Joe and Muhammad in the same room together in 2002, the night before the NBA All-Star game with his wife, Lonnie, and his son, Marvis, and, and my good friend, Nick, that we had the privilege of being there. And I just didn't feel to talk about accolades as far as an agent, you know, now that I'm more humble and 
um, sober, and um, you know, it, it's just not me. It's just not my personality. But then the light bulb went on in my head as the opiate epidemic got worse, and my dad passed away. And I go, you know what? It's got to be a way through that story that I can use that platform of these two regal kings who were near and dear to me for so long to help people and show them that hope and recovery exists. Because during that experience, I was high as a guy on opiates because I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel worthy of the situation, spending hundreds of days collectively with both of them over 12, 13, 15 years, whatever it might have been, going to their houses, dinners, whatever it might have been. I grew up being labeled, uh, you know, severely learning disabled. Um, I grew up in special education classrooms. The first chapter I named it in a book called The Special Crew. My friends were in rooms with 40 or 50 kids. I was in rooms with five. When I had my first taste of any sort of drug at 12 years old in sleepaway camp, it made me feel everything I wanted to feel. And I'm like, I guarantee there's a lot more kids out there dealing with this right now. And if I can use my bottom to tell my beginning and what happened, this is the platform to do it. And this is the time. So getting back to that Ollie Fraser story, you're representing, I mean, all of us have friends that don't get along. We're friends with one guy, we're friends with the other guy or girl, and they don't talk. And then sometimes they get older and they, it just, something happens and someone dies. They're like, man, I wish I could have put them together. But in your situation, you are friends with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier who hate each other with severe hate. And they were both getting older and who knows how long they were going to live. And, but they had the shared common bond of these amazing boxing matches, the greatest of, in the history of boxing maybe ever. And the shared common bond, the commonality of being these great boxers. And I think you're probably the only person in the world that could put together this, this meeting between the two, but not just a meeting, but a time where they were to reconcile and get along with each other and literally want to sit next to each other at the All-Star game. And then for the rest of their lives, actually not be best friends, but actually have this type of friendship. Tell me, that story is so great. I don't want to give away too much in the book, but if you could tell parts of that story, because I, I read it twice because I thought it was amazing how you put those two guys together for that meeting. You know, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick one. It was great. So after Muhammad, after Joe kind of helped Muhammad up, he was having a bad night that night. The medication uh, wasn't really working. It was definitely bloated and overweight. And uh, Muhammad put his head on Joe's shoulder, and they both started crying. They were holding each other like old brothers that haven't seen each other in decades. And now we're sitting at the big king's table in Muhammad's suite, and Joe's at one end, Muhammad's at the other Lonnie's amazing talking to Joe about different foods she ordered to the room that were, you know, diabetic friendly because it shows diabetes. And all of a sudden, Muhammad starts biting his bottom lip, that little gimmick that Billy Crystal always does. And Joe Frazier, Joe Frazier, and he starts, a gorilla, a gorilla. And Joe starts pounding his fist. He goes, man, he goes, we just made up 30 minutes ago. Am I going to have to kick your black ass again? And <laughs> started laughing and let Muhammad, like, get food coming out of his mouth. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm sitting at this table right now watching this where, you name it, Nelson Mandela, President Clinton, anybody would have given their right arm and whatever it would have taken to be at that table with those two kings. And, um, look, the next day was just a special. I sat center court, seed one, two, and three with them at the NBA All-Star Game. And, you know, people have to read the book. Some of the stuff I heard was just absolutely incredible, even though I was dealing with my own demons and my own opiate addiction at that point. I like to say that I wasn't a bad person. I was a good person that was sick. And eventually, I was a good person that slowly started to get well. 
So you had um, some interesting, I mean, one thing is that a lot of your clients that you worked with, and we're talking to Darren Prince, uh, the owner of Prince Marketing Group and the author of Aiming High and one of the greatest sports agents alive. But the question is, is that so a lot of people have um, people they rely on, times are tough. You had an interesting person that was there for almost every low moment of your life who happened to be your first client, which is Magic Johnson. Talk a little about how Magic impacted your life and, and a little maybe some stuff about Magic we don't know because we definitely see the public face of Magic, but some other sides of Magic that the public doesn't really see. Well, you know, he also blessed me writing the forward to this book, which was a tremendous honor. Um, he, uh, you know, he was there for me like nobody else. I got into some problems in the memorabilia business, uh, with the FBI, he, he he was there for me. He knew I was in a very dark place in 2006. We had a phone call, and um, I just lost my dog. My house had a huge flood. I lost a big corporate account, and I came clean. I told him I'm struggling with this opiate addiction, and I can't walk, talk, eat, drink, do anything without taking these pills. And he just said the other three things, I feel for you. You'll get through it. But this is something we need to talk about right now. And he was actually running late for a meeting by talking to me. I ran into his old publicist a couple of weeks ago, and I told her, and Mr. Johnson never runs late. You don't build an empire like he does by running late. But this was so near and dear to him that he was running late. He wouldn't hang up the phone with me and said, you got to get clean, man. I don't want to lose you. Your parents don't want to lose you. You have too much to live for. Um, you know, eventually, about a year and a half later, it took me some time. Um, but for him and... Um, you know, to always be there for me and support me and be cheering for me. And last Friday, he called me and just said, man, I'm so proud of you. He goes, the amount of lives that you're touching, um, it, it, it's it's super special because my dad, when he was alive, told him one day that you needed my son like you needed a hole in the head. And the fact <laughs> that you always stood by his side and was always there for him, I can never thank you enough. And he said, dad, he goes, your son's a good man. He's always at my back. So it's my privilege. Another guy, some also, some everyone has businesses, and there's like a client where like people ask them, "Why do you have this person as a client?" Like this must be much more trouble than it is. But you chose to have Dennis Rodman and represent him, and I, and I was just at your event in Florida, uh, where your book signing, and which was a tremendous event, and Dennis was there uh, for you as long as along with Hulk Hogan. Um, so clearly, Dennis and, and I could see the relationship you two had; it was very close. Talk about representing Dennis Rodman. I mean, that must be just the hardest <laughs> representation job alive. But Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, at times he could be a handful, but we love each other. You know, we have the utmost respect, and he understands that there's times that if I need a break from him or for, you know, he knows I've got a lot of other clients, a lot of other things happening. I've got my boy Bo and Nikki C and Steve, and we all kind of take turns taking care of him. And, you know, he takes care of us too. The, the sober Dennis that isn't drinking uh, when he's got his, his act together, it has a real big, beautiful heart and will do anything for anybody. And I think a lot of people will tell you that that really know the real Dennis Rodman. And then besides the sports, I mean, this, the entertainment celebrities, Chevy Chase, Pam Anderson, I, mean, I love reading that aspect of their book. And again, this we're talking to Darren Prince, author of Aiming High, sports agent. Um, it's interesting how you, and, and I talk a little about where celebrity and acting and those type, those fields interspersed with sports and, and, and how, I mean, every time I go to a sporting event, I go to tons of sporting events. And the first question people ask me is what celebrities were there, <laughs> but talk about that a little about in terms of your, how you were able to transition from being the sports memorabilia baseball card guy to representing Burt Reynolds and Pam Anderson and those people. You know, I, I, I just think um, I always wound up putting myself in the middle, and that's what's great about this book, too. It's not just about addiction and recovery. I mean, of course, that's a large part, and that's my main message, but 
it does show you about perseverance. It does teach you about what you need to do to get to that level of success and actually have a plan and take an action. And I always learned to surround myself with people that were more talented, smarter, and more successful than I was because, truthfully, you learn from their years of pain and you learn from all their triumphs. And Chevy was a great get for me back in 95, 1995. That was incredible. A mutual friend passed away. His, his brother-in-law at the time was Chevy's gardener, and he just called me up randomly one day and said, hey, we're shooting pool with Chevy Chase. Uh, in a couple of weeks, he's a great guy. You want to come meet him? And I was like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? And the, you know, we did a corporate appearance for him right away and an autograph signing we booked for him. And uh, he hosted a big charity event in New York City with Magic and is exactly that character in person that you see on TV. Amazing guy. I love him and his wife, Janie. They're amazing people. Um, you know, it's like hanging out with Fletch and Clark Griswold and Ty Webb and Andy Farmer. <laughs> all That's in awesome. Life. He's got that amazing sense of humor. And then... Uh, through an old friend who's a big-time entertainment lawyer, Henry Holmes, um, I started working with Pam. I lost contact with her through old publicist, and he got her back for me in 1996 when she was at the peak of the peak. I mean, she was, you know, the Kim Kardashian, the Marilyn Monroe, the Sophia Loren of her generation. And just like any one of my other clients, I built a very special personal relationship with her, a deep trust, a uh, great friendship. I was there for her and Tommy during dark times. You know, they supported me. That's what it's about with me and my celebrities. It's so much more than the money. There's so much about the relationship part. And um, Burt Reynolds, I only had about five years with him. I had four years with Evil Knievel. When Evil passed, I was devastated uh, because we get to be family. We get to be friends. And, uh, you know, we understand that it's not just about, hey, man, call me when you have a deal. And uh, I think that came from my parents, you know, especially my father. You know, we've instilled that in me, that um, – you know, your reputation's the hardest thing to uphold and the easiest thing to lose, and you only get one chance at it. So make it as personal as you can. Yeah, and you, and you talked about that in your book uh, with Hulk Hogan when he had his difficult times and, and you were there just camped outside his house ready to help him, when you know, come out when you're ready and, and talk about a little about Hulk in terms of, I mean, you see, again, you see that personality and just it's amazing how he can just electrify a stadium of 100,000 people. But you saw Hulk at all levels. No, the same thing, you know, just like I get to know the real urban Magic Johnson uh, versus Magic Johnson, and I get to know the real Terry Bollea, who is a one-in-a-billion type of guy. I mean, he's got the biggest heart of anybody I know. He was the first one that came and, and gave me a testimony for my book. Uh, I think he said something like, I knew Darren when he asked for the blessing, and now he's become one. I mean, he's nothing I wouldn't do for him. There's nothing he wouldn't do for me. I love his wife. His kids are incredible. Um you know, we, we for several years, we would spend, like, the night before New Year's together. I'd head down to Clearwater. We'd have dinner. I mean, the talks with him, I honestly think, man, probably 90% of the time when we talked, we spoke last week before he went to Saudi Arabia, it was about life. It's like the business is so secondary because we know we could always make money with each other, but we actually developed this real love and trust, and there's not a phone call I don't hang up where me and Hulk don't tell each other we love, we, we love, love you, brother. Love you, man. You know? I mean... It, 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 it's a very, very special relationship to, to have that with somebody that's such a revered icon. And uh, like I said, I get to know the real Terry Belay, which is a blessing. Rick Flair, too. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, Rick and I are super close, and his wife, Wendy, I was at their wedding a month and a half ago. They're beautiful people. I mean, just, uh, he was actually supposed to make it to the party. We were at Miami, but something came up. He had to cancel last minute. 
Well, we're talking to Darren Prince. And Darren, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I know that you're super busy and I appreciate it. But your book, Aiming High, uh, is definitely a read. I, I mean, I love reading. I'm the biggest reader you can imagine. I read books all the time. And it was, I just, I could not put it down. I loved it. Um, whether you're into sports or not into sports or whatever, it's a type of book everyone in your family should read at every age. Um, because you talked about it, certainly with children. You know, it started with you at 15 years old. So um, thank you again for, uh, for coming on the show. And and, uh, and appreciate you you coming on Iron Sports. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. You are listening to Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. It's 725. I'm Mike Balsamo. We'll have Bob Moore, the former uh, Chiefs PR director and just, you know, legendary Chiefs uh, team historian on in just about a moment. Ira, do you think that there's a guy in the world who's kind of been around more uh, eclectic and high-end people than, than Darren has? I mean, think about the people in his career that he's got to spend time with and also get very close with. The the array is just absolutely amazing. I. That's why the book is so cool. I mean, it is interesting. You, you hear about the Ali's and the Frasers, and then, but not just in boxing, but then in basketball with Magic Johnson. I mean, it is... And, it's the sense from the marketing aspect. It's a little different. He has this type of relationship as a marketing person because he's booking them for appearances. Mm-hmm. He's not just negotiating their one contract and not doing any more negotiation. And it's also, it's not as hostile. It's not a hostile type relationship against counter like he's against like Le'Veon Bell. We just yeah, talked about exactly. Le'Veon Bell, what his agent is doing. It's more like we're going to book magic and we're going to book those places and these appearances and how they work. And I just think it's great. I mean, it was just so interesting to read a book and about all the different, I mean, there's even more. The book is 200 pages long and I just want to put it down. It was such a good book. It's absolutely, you need to pick it up. It's Aiming High by Darren Prince. You can pick it up uh, on Amazon, any bookstores. We do have right now Bob Moore. He's the former Chiefs PR director on the line with us here on iRun Sports. Bob, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And what do you think? Is this the year for the Chiefs? That offense is just absolutely something to watch. Yeah, it really is. You know, it, it brings back memories of the 2003 offense under Dick Vermeil and the uh, and that was a fairly prolific group, too, with uh, Trent Green and Priest Holmes and uh, Tony Gonzalez and uh, those kind of players. So a lot of similarities between that team and the team we're seeing out there on the field right now. You've definitely got to see quite a few amazing offensive players and offensive just units and groups um, all together throughout the years, you know, following the Chiefs. Chiefs are a team that, uh, you know, I'm a fan of the NFC. I'm a Giants fan, but it's one of those teams that you really don't want to be playing in the same conference in because they're always going to be competitive and always coming for you. Ira, what do you have out here for Bob? Bob, I've uh, been – it's Ira. Thanks for coming on. Ira on Sports, I appreciate it. Um, the question is, is one of the first questions would be, I've been to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City three times. I've been to 24 of the stadiums. Uh, besides the Heinz Field and besides maybe Green Bay, I, I, it is the most passionate fan base. They're all wearing red. They're all into their Chiefs. They love their Chiefs, win or lose. There's no booing. I was in Baltimore on Sunday, and their fans were booing the Ravens. I don't think the fans would ever boo the Chiefs. Talk about this fan base and what, what is the connection between the Chiefs and Kansas City? Well, one of the things that you have to take into consideration is how large the stadium is. It's certainly larger than than you would think for a city of this size, which is one of the smallest markets in the in the National Football League. Um, the stadium, when it was built, uh, held about 79,000 79, fans. So it was awful large at that time. Now, you have to also remember that for about 20 years, the stadium wasn't filled very much. It was a very small. After it opened in 72, the team fell into some tough times, and it acted that way for generally about 20 years until around 1989 when it started to build up. And then in a period of about three years, uh, they became the, the leaders 
of attendance in the league, which really set the, set the mark up. You know, the parking lot is also part of it. It's one of the largest parking lots in the National Football League, which allows a lot of tailgating, which would resemble a college crowd probably. So it's become an entire event, and I think that's what, what's drawn. It's also the construction. You have to take it into consideration the construction of the stadium because the sound really pours down. There's no way out, so it can't go out over on the edges and so forth. It just pours down onto the field. So that gives the fans a, a real uh, effect or a real uh, probability that they're having something affecting, affecting the game and the outcome. So uh, the one, the couple years, I, I know you're the team historian, so I, I just want to talk about two years back in the history, which I thought were great, is that you had the opportunity to have, before Tom Brady came along, the greatest quarterback of all time play on your team for his final two years. Talk about, in 93 and 94, what it was like to have Joe Montana be the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, obviously, everything gets cranked up a lot because, first of all, leaving place where he had more or less made his mark and there was he was in he was in obviously a lot of people wanted him at that point the teams that were in play for him were uh, Arizona probably was the major team I think they had an interest too but he wanted to come to a team that played a similar offense which which the Chiefs did at that time they played the West Coast offense so that made it uh, and also the offensive coordinator at the time was Paul Hackett so as soon as he got here the fans really bought into the franchise that we were serious because as I said for 20 years the franchise had just fallen on hard times I mean with the 79,000 seat stadium there were a couple of games as late as the late 80s where there were only 15,000 people now you think about it 15,000 people at a game in a 79,000 seat stadium pretty grim so to get to a point where you've got people they're dying to get in especially when you're playing in 94 against the San Francisco 49ers and their quarterback, who at the time had been replaced, Joe, you had one of the largest crowds that ever happened. So the town was, and the great thing about Joe is he lived in town year-round, and um, uh, his kids went to school here, and he really took to it, which the people in a Midwestern town like this, that was important to him. So it became, it was his town, and to do what he did in 93 and, and to play those great playoff games, um it really changed things for the, for the franchise and for pro football in Kansas City. So in terms of, I don't know if this is a too difficult a question, but if you said the Mount Rushmore of Kansas City Chief players, where would you, who, who would you put on that quote Mount Rushmore of, of players for that have played for the Chiefs? Oh, without any question, you'd have to go back to the earlier days when the team moved here in 1963 from Dallas. You got into the greatest, one of the greatest defenses that ever played, the greatest player who probably ever played for the Chiefs was Bobby Bell. He was the most athletic player that ever played for the team, and he was in the pro football, first member of the Chiefs to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And and you have Buck Buchanan is in the Pro Football. Most of the players who are in the Hall of Fame are defensive players, because that 69 defensive team was um, probably arguably one of the greatest defensive teams. You hear about the Bears and so forth and, uh, later on. But the Chiefs uh, led in almost every defensive category that took him into their Super Bowl. You've got Curly Culp. This year, we'll probably, there's a possibility, we'll get Johnny Robinson in. We have Willie Lanier in. So those players, most of the time, were on, on defense. Although, now that we look at it, you have players like Tony Gonzalez, who possibly will go in this year, and uh, Priest Holmes and players of that nature. But mostly, it's been a defense. So one of the questions, we're talking to Bob Moore, the former public relations director for the Kansas City Chiefs and now team historian. 
So getting back to the current day, Pat Mahomes and this offense, one of the questions is, why did Pat Mahomes not start last year? I mean, he is so good. I've seen uh, almost every one of the Chiefs game. I was at the Steeler game uh, in Pittsburgh when it was almost like they were playing with 11 guys and the Steelers were playing with five. <laughs> um, it, it, this totally destruction of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But war, did you did the team was the team talking about last year how good this guy was? Because he's not just good, he's MVP good. Well, I think at that particular point, learning the pro game, you don't want to destroy someone the first year. And I think we're learning behind Alex Smith, who I think is one of the, probably the second or third best quarterback we've ever had with the Chiefs, um, was probably a very good experience for him. The other thing you have to realize is that Texas Tech quarterbacks have not been particularly successful in National Football League. Patrick Mahomes has changed things on that because they haven't been. And so consequently, I mean, who knows what you're going to have, but Look at the season that Sam Darnold's having. You know, he's been forced into a starting role. Hasn't gone well. Are you going to ruin a guy in his first year? Or is it going to be an opportunity to learn behind a guy like Alex Smith, who obviously has changed things for uh, for Washington, who's now leading their division? So I think it was, it was smart at that, at that particular time. So um, I think all things considered, I think he's overdone what anybody would have expected. We're delighted by it, and given our history of, Quarterbacks through the uh, through the time the organizations existed, we're hopeful that this time we, we we have another franchise quarterback to make us forget about some of the ones who didn't turn out that way. So you're talking to Bob Moore and I, Bob. I want to thank you to come on the show today for Iron Sports. Um, I guess I hope to have you on in the future because it'd be great to have you in the playoffs. I mean, what is it? The final question would be the expectations for the Chiefs. I mean, will they be happy with just this great year making it to the AFC Championship game, or is this? Or now is now everybody into like we're going to win the Super Bowl this year? Is it Super Bowl or bust type situation, which is like in Pittsburgh and in New England, where those are the expectations? If the Steelers don't win the Super Bowl, horrendous year. If the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl, horrendous year. I think the expectation should be to win some playoff games because that's been the biggest problem. I think it's great that the team is having a sensational year. There's no question about that because up until this point, most of the Chiefs' great teams were defensive teams, with the exception of the 2003 team. Mm-hmm. had a not particularly great odd defense. This year's odd defense has you know, struggled to some extent. I think what we need to do is to concentrate on next steps. So next steps in this case are going to be wins in playoff season. And once we can acquire those wins, develop a little bit of, uh, of uh, maturity in the playoffs, and get some wins, we'll see what happens. But you've got to get to the playoffs uh, until you see what happens later. So getting to the playoffs is great, but we're going to have to win some games in the playoffs. I think that's the next step. He is Bob Moore, the Chiefs' former PR director. Awesome interview here on iRun Sports. Bob, thank you so much for popping by. It's, you betcha. Take yeah, care now. Bye anytime. Bye. 735 iRun Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsama. You know, Ira, before we get into football, where you've been, I, I feel bad for defense. Like The Chiefs are ranked very poorly on defense this year. This is how so many Tom Brady's uh, teams have been and Aaron Rodgers' teams. When a team, when you know that a team's going to score 40 points a night, you you bring the offense from the, from their, your first possession. There's no waiting around to see, you know, trying to dink and dunk on them and, and feel out their offense or feel out their defense. You know that they're going to score points. So you just go for it all the way. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady win Super Bowls with a top a top or bottom five defense in the league. And Aaron Rodgers has done the same thing. So I, I, I hate when... 
you know, people are, oh, the Chiefs defense stinks. They don't stink, but they, they're getting, you know, these teams are, are you know, full-on press from usually halfway through the second quarter, which you're not going to get when you're, you know, in the Jets games. You know, Jets versus Miami, it's a little bit of a different scenario. I Where have you been, though? Um, you were in one of my favorite cities over the weekend, taking in a game, and this might have been a turning point uh, in your in your Steelers season. Tell us about it. Well, it was Baltimore. It's the third time I've been to Baltimore for a game, and it was it's cool. I love going there for a game. It's you park your car, you walk by Camden Yards, which is one of those so pretty cool. states. When there's no fans in Camden Yards, it still looks great. Mm-hmm. And then you walk by the warehouse and where you know where Cal Ripken when they drop the flag. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just very historic to walk in. And they have this thing called Ravens Walk, and you walk through, and it's like a half a mile of bands and radio shows and different tents of stuff. And it's called it's pretty cool. And then when you when you right before the stadium, the Ray Lewis statue is the best statue, sports statue I've ever seen. It has him like screaming. It mm-hmm. is. It seems like it's fifty feet high. Everyone's getting their picture taken. It's a great statue. There's a Johnny United statue, and then you go in the stadium. And the stadium's a beautiful stadium, very similar to Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, all built around that same time. But a really good stadium. Their fans. I do like the color, the purple color, mm-hmm. and the black, and the colors and stuff like that. I think. And the 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 one thing is that the last times I was there, the fans were mean to Steeler fans. I, but when you go to games, they keep saying, "Be nice, be nice, be nice." I finally think it got through to them, <laughs> or they're just so upset with their team. That they can't be mean, but people were friendly. I don't think they were overly friendly, like I find in other places. But mm-hmm. they weren't just obnoxiously yeah. like this is the you're the worst person in the world. So I felt like maybe it's working. They now only Philadelphia and Cleveland are in that category <laughs> of being just horrendous, and but they're it, well deserved. And it was also military appreciation. So they had a neat thing where the when the players ran out, the uh, military ran out with them, and I like that. That was real. That was pretty cool. Flyovers, flags, everything. So mm-hmm. a lot of pomp and circumstance. And when they sping the Star Spangled Banner, they say over there because it was written right next to the stadium in a, in a harbor right there. Um, let's talk about the game itself. This was a game, I told you, AFC North matchups, you never know who's going to win. You know, the Browns could beat the Steelers on any given Sunday. This is a game that I thought could be a trick game or a trap game for the Steelers. You know, the Ravens, they've been playing okay, but they're they're finding ways to get things done. This game is kind of cool. I mean, the, the Steelers played much better than the Ravens, in my opinion, but it's still a 23-16, to 16, only a touchdown that separated it. You think Joe Flacco has worn out his welcome there? It doesn't look good. Well, Flacco Frank. and Harbaugh both. I mean, these are Super Bowl-winning coaches and, and quarterback, and they're ready. I mean, Manning is Manning's in, in, in New York, and, and Flacco, I was shocked about how much they, they don't want him to be the quarterback anymore. Lamar Jackson came in. It was weird. It's not just one or two plays. They they run their offense where they 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 put Flacco out to the right or to the left. He just stands there, doesn't even run and mm-hmm. move. And it's not just one; it's about six, seven times a game. Yeah. And I don't think Flacco likes doing it because he doesn't want to just. It's not just a trick play; it just happens too much. Um, in the first half, he did not have a good first half because the Steelers got in red zone twice, scored touchdowns. They got in the red zone twice, and he missed Lamar Jackson for open. The announcer I was listening to on the radio said the entire stadium saw Lamar Jackson was open except for Joe Flacco. Yeah. And it, so watching it on TV. Ira, you're looking at it like here's a touchdown. I mean, he, he, there wasn't a guy within 20 yards of him, and it, it was a five yard pass. Some people think there's animosity that Joe Flacco doesn't want to throw to him. <laughs> it could, it I've could heard be that. that. But then, so it's 14 6, but then the, and then the Steelers start out the second half with a touchdown, so go 21 6, and think it's comfortable. But, but the Ravens did come down um, and, and scored. There was a key point in the fourth quarter. When it was 23-13, or 20-13 Pittsburgh, Ben scrambled, and they sacked him. It was not really a sack. It was a scramble. And 
I thought he was hurt. I mean, he did not get up. They put the everyone came out and you know the medics and everything. Mm-hmm. And when you see is the first time I've seen all the Steeler games, it was really besides that Cleveland game when he hurt his elbow. The first time I've seen him down on the ground and not get up. Mm-hmm. Um, he went out for a play, and Josh Dobbs, the backup quarterback, came in and actually completed a pass. It was it was amazing. And then Ben came back and threw a fifty-one yard one yard pass to James uh, uh, Jesse James. They kicked a field goal. We're up twenty-three thirteen. Ravens came down, kicked a field goal. Um, um, and then the Steelers have done something, and I, we've talked about this on our show all the time. It's you have got to end the game. Yes. And and and, and either you just it's, it doesn't matter if you score. And we're going to talk about this other shows I, because these offenses are so prolific, and people can score so quickly right now that you, they they went on this drive, and it's it's a very funny drive. They had nine plays for fifteen yards. 15 yards. The drive was four minutes and 39 seconds. And that's what you have to do. And, 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 and it was just, they left the Ravens with 44 seconds down on their like, whatever, seven yard line. They were running trick plays. There was no timeouts left. But that was the key. Short passes to Brown on third down, a short pass across the middle, short pass to Juju Smith Schuster, runs from James Conner. Um, and the key thing, I mean, Ben played at 280 yards, two touchdowns. Conner ran for 100 yards. It's fourth straight 100 yard game. Um, it was just, they were 10, Steelers were 10 to 16 on third down. Ravens 4 of 12. The Ravens only had 61 rushing yards. But it was that ability. I mean, you're seeing that every single game. you got to be able to end the game and not give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers and not give the ball back to, to another of these quarterbacks that can score. You just have to end the game. Let's talk about, you know, we, we did earlier before we move on, you know, the odds that Le'Veon Bell is a stealer next year. What do you think the odds are that Joe Flacco and Harbaugh are both in Baltimore next year? I think Harbaugh will be back the question is, can you do better than he? I, he's been successful. I, I think that Flacco. I, he won I don't, a Super Bowl. And you know I don't. Get yeah, that. I don't think Flacco is going to be back. I mean, Flacco is the type of quarterback, but it's weird where he's going to go. Um, it would be have to be a team that like the Bills. Like the Bills need a quarterback now. Whether there's an injury, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I just can't see Flacco back. I, I just the team doesn't the the play. It's just the t- the town does not want him as their quarterback, um, and he has not had the goodwill. And he's played poorly. Um, I, I Making would, the twenty three, twenty five million dollars he does doesn't hurt. You know, it doesn't help you having that around on your salary. Either. Exactly. When he signed the contract, he was the highest paid player, and then yeah. he got a lot of criticism for that because he was the first quarterback to sign that big mega deal, where he's the highest paid player in the NFL. And then he got criticized, saying, "Well, we have all this money to you. We can't give money to any other players." But of course, that every other player quarterback got the same amount of money, mm. so it wasn't that unusual. But at the time he signed it, it was. So he gets unfairly blamed for that. Well, if you remember, I, th- I can't remember who the players were, but they had to let like four guys go yeah. to, to, to sign him. I think that. And then they immediately go from Super Bowl champs to like four wins. <laughs> it doesn't look good for you. Um, you know, you talked about being able to close games out, Ira, and there's someone in this league who does it better than anybody else, and that's Tom Brady. And there's another guy who gets so much credit for being able to do it, and that's Aaron Rodgers. And it, the, it didn't go so good for the latter uh, last night with New England versus the Packers. Tell us about it. Well, first of all, I watched the game. I was flying back for the Baltimore game to here, and I was watching the game on my iPad on the Southwest flight. And then we end in the fourth quarter, and then I was so mad that there's no there's no television in the Fort Lauderdale airport. And I'm trying to watch on my iPad, and the signal's terrible, and it's like coming in and coming out. I felt like I had like a black and white TV with uh, the rabbit ears yeah. <laughs> trying to get it to work, and it was just so I'm like following it, and it's just all upset. But 
I don't think what bothered me about this game, the New England won 31-17, New England went 7-2, Packers are 3-4-1. What bothered me was the entire week of what I heard, was it was the greatest of all time versus the greatest of all time. It was if LeBron played Michael. All I heard was that. And I just, it drove me insane. And Max Kellerman on ESPN continually says that Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback of all time. I, I just, I... Well, that's just, that's just ridiculous to say all time. He won Super Bowl. There's, you know, Eli Manning has two Super Bowls. Not saying that he's better, but Kellerman's ridiculous there. He's got all the talent in the world, but until you've actually done it, like Tom Brady's done it with a million different receivers and running backs, who can say you're the best ever? Well, I mean, Brady did not have Gronkowski in the game. He had Cordell Patterson as his running back. So when you look, when you analyze who the, the Packers had, Devontae Adams. They had Randall Cobb. They have a running back called Aaron Jones who's pretty good. And then the media keeps coming on. Oh, poor Aaron Rodgers. He has no help. His coach is so bad. His players are so bad. This is so, it, it was like this sob for Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, stop compl- winning. Win some games. I mean, and, and we just had this talk. I was in LA. We talked about Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw could not be considered this all-time great because Kershaw has been terrible in the postseason, hasn't played well, whatever. But what about Aaron Rodgers? Like, can you be considered the greatest of all time when your overall postseason record is Brady's is 27 wins and 10 losses and five Super Bowls? Well, that's enough said. But Rodgers is nine and seven. You know who also is nine and seven in the playoffs? Donovan McNabb. No one thinks Don McNabb should be the greatest of all time. And it's not just, it's like, oh, well, when his losses, he must have played so great. He was amazing. He he willed the team. Without them, they would have never, whatever. Well, let's talk about these losses. In games that he was even favored, in 2011, he lost to the Giants 37-20, 264 yards. In 2012, he lost to San Francisco 45-31. Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick, yeah. uh, 257 yards. San Francisco, again, threw for 177 yards, scored 20 points. Then 2014 at Seattle, 22 points, one touchdown, two interceptions. Then in 2015, lost to Arizona, 20 points, 261 yards. In 2016, lost to Atlanta, 287 yards. He can't even get over 300 yards. His numbers are much worse than when they are in the regular season. I can't believe, I mean, this is not LeBron, Michael Jordan. I mean, that is, as much as you know, everyone knows I'm a Jordan fan. The gap, whatever I think the gap is between Jordan and LeBron, there's, and there's, I can understand the LeBron argument. I cannot understand what, and under what, I, I can't understand. Drew Brees to me is closer to Tom Brady than Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. Is. Drew Brees is, is a short shot first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers isn't. You want to know the difference for me? I, you look at, Aaron Rodgers in games like this and the entire time things aren't going his way and there was a couple of balls that could have been caught his receivers are covered he's huffing he's puffing he just looks like a baby he doesn't handle it the way other people do Russell Wilson went out carried his team on his back he lost but he carried his team on his back and there's a blatant drop in the end zone that you know towards the end of the game that would have given them a sign of life what is what does Russell Wilson do shakes his head goes right back to playing football Aaron Rodgers, he's always got the camera on him, and he's always complaining about something. He's always looking disappointed at somebody. Take some of this blame for yourself. You know, you have to be able to elevate people around you. Like Tom Brady can elevate a bagger at Publix into a Super Bowl MVP. I don't see Aaron Rodgers do that. And for me, that's a bigger difference than even just, you know, making the throws, I. Yeah, I, I just, it just the whole week, I want, I'm glad I have my own radio show to talk about this <laughs> because it drives me insane. And I've been driving around in the car and it's not just Kellerman who's 
the number one fan. But it's everyone else who, who this debate was. I know ESPN was pushing it up because it's only the second time they ever met because they're in two conferences and it's so exciting that they're meeting and all these other things. But I just cannot. He is not in his class. Now, to his credit, he did say, I don't have the rings that that, uh, that Brady has. But he doesn't have the wins in the playoffs even. <laughs> and, and, and if I'm sitting in LA and everyone is saying Kershaw should not get this money and Kershaw shouldn't get a five-year contract and Kershaw in the playoffs is this and Kershaw can't win the big games. Well, then why is the same thing said about Aaron Rodgers? And if you're going to criticize LeBron, I'll tell you one thing I'm going to say is that LeBron has been poor in the in some playoff games, but oh my, you know, there's been a a lot of playoff games, money more than not, when LeBron has been amazing in the playoff games. So and the fact is, I just, I just, there's no comparison between. There's just, I just think Tom Brady has had a better regular season career than Aaron Rodgers, and clearly a much better postseason. And when we're judging quarterbacks, we have to. If you're going to split the hairs on the who's the greatest ever, postseason has to come in place because you're the dominant. You're the, the, the no one has more control of the game than the quarterback. What do you think Eli Manning's postseason record is? Um, I, I wrote it down there. Tell me eight and four. <laughs> That's a big, I mean, granted, two of those were literally world uh, Super Bowl runs. That's where you get the eight wins from, but still, you know, that counts for something. And to be nine and seven versus eight and four, I'm not saying Eli Manning's better, but just yeah, when you throw out numbers like that, Don, a guy like Donovan McNabb, who was a very good NFL quarterback, in my opinion. He's got the same amount of playoffs. Joe play. Flacco's ten and five. Really, Flacco? Yeah, I mean, I'm just these are numbers. I mean, it's not it, it can't. There's not made up numbers. And and I and I went. I gave list a bunch of games. They they were favored in most of, in, in most of those games. They were favorites. They lost games that they should have won. I just I they lost. He lost to Colin Kaepernick. Good teams. There's no way they should have lost those games. And they lost at home. Let's talk a little bit about. By the way, seven forty nine. Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We'll move on from the NFL after this because Ira's just fuming about. Yeah, we got to get to college. Football yeah, okay. Right now. Just Real quick, this was the matchup of the week to me, and if anybody thinks that an NFC team is going to be able to dethrone uh, New Orleans or the Rams in the NFC Championship game, I think you're sadly mistaken. Tell us about this one, because it was a great game. Wow. New Orleans jumped out to a 35-17 lead, and then the Rams <laughs> rushed back, tying it at 35-all. I mean, it was just an amazing game. I caught the second, third, and fourth quarter. Uh, Drew Brees just uh, tremendous, just tremendous in home. And this is the problem, but I get to get credit to the Rams. They didn't give up. They hung in there. They're a younger team. But the one thing that scares you is that everyone knows New Orleans to score, but everyone thought, boy, the Rams, when push came to shove, their defense would lock them down and their defense wasn't good enough, yeah. especially Marcus Peters in the secondary. Um, and Breeze gets the ball out fast. They play fast. And so this vaunted defensive line that they have, that, that the Rams have, could not take advantage of. You can't get Sue and Donald could not do anything because they just, because Kamara is so fast to get out of the backfield. Thomas, Breeze, they just play faster than really what the Rams can do. That's a really good way to look at it because when you look at that team, they are fast. They play fast. And that's what I think of when I think of the New Orleans Saints. College football, Ira, you know, a lot of people were saying, mm, this Alabama, well, I, I don't think anybody's questioning that this Alabama offense is the best in Nick Saban's tenure. But a lot of people were saying, this isn't a typical Alabama defense. They just didn't quite, they, they're not shutting people out every week until they rolled into uh, into LSU over the weekend and crushed them 29 to nothing. Tell us about it. Well, a lot of the reason people criticize their defense is, first of all, they were very young. They're playing almost all freshmen. But secondly, is because they had these huge leads that they put, their numbers, their stats don't matter because they were having third and yeah. fourth stringers in <laughs> and it was, they were just playing base defenses at the end of the game. So I think LSU, so they go into LSU, it's ranked number four in the country. They win 29 nothing. Um, I mean, Bama had a touchdown in the first quarter, missed the extra point. And then it was weird. Tua got hurt. 
uh, on a cheap shot. They they blew the play dead, and the LSU guy kept running and just knocked him over like out of the movies. And it was almost like the longest yard with Burt Reynolds mm-hmm. and the, that play. So he knocked him over. Two was injured on the ground. I thought, oh my gosh. They, but he came back and played. And uh, and even at nine nothing, Tua threw his first interception of the, of the season. But right after that, he threw the interception. LSU fumbles the ball. LSU and then Bama scores a touchdown, sixteen nothing at the end of the half, and then it's over. And and, and this is LSU in the second half. So so now they're down sixteen nothing. They come out and they're like, okay, we got to score, we got to catch up. They're, this is the first next thing they went: three plays in a punt, five plays in a punt, three plays in a punt, a missed field goal, and interception. That's LSU's <laughs> second half. And then Tua was 25-42, 295 yards, two touchdowns. They, this is the best football team I've ever seen, best college football team I've ever seen. They're going to win the national championship. They are. I love watching them play. I don't care if they're beating teams 100 to nothing. This is perfection. Uh, this is he has he has recruited the uh, gr- not only athletic, talented players, but they're smart. They're playing in their system. I'd be shocked. I mean, if Clemson beats them or someone beats them, I just don't see them losing. They are amazing. Speaking of Clemson, uh, you know, college game day is going to one of my favorite colleges, Boston College. Uh, This weekend, it's going to be Clemson versus BC. A lot of people are high on BC. I think Clemson just absolutely destroys them, like they did to Louisville uh, Louisville this weekend. I was 77-16. to Clemson's a really good team, but yeah, not on on the level of Bama. What do you think? Well, Clemson started out slow, but the last couple games, 63-3 over Wake Forest, NC State 41-7, Florida State 59-10. Louisville, 77 to 16. I mean, the scores, if you don't get, if you like turn on the game, like I'll catch it at halftime, it was 35 3. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is amazing. Uh, he didn't really have to do anything. He threw 8 for 12 for 59 yards and two touchdowns. And then Etienne, their running back, eight carries for 153 yards. Clemson's defense is phenomenal. Their offense is going. I mean, it'll be exciting when they play Alabama in the National Championship game. I cannot, I mean, that's, their two teams are on a collision course to be 1 2. But, uh, uh, and I just, Look, I think Clemson's improving, 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 and they need it. That's why they had to make the change from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. They need, they got to realize that we got to score points on Alabama. It's not, they're not going to, it's not going to be a 10 6 game. They got, (laughs) you're going to have to score almost 30 points to beat Alabama on that defense, which was, you know, the other stat I gave. 576 yards, Alabama had to 196 LSU. Um, LSU rushed 25 times for 12 yards. This is a team against Georgia. They had 275 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, they are going to, I still, they're going to be, it'll be exciting. I, I, we're talking about an Alabama Clemson game that's going to happen to a month from now. But, um, but still, no, Clemson looks good. And whatever problems and concerns they had early in the year, they're just blowing these teams out right now. They're saying Clemson could have four defensive linemen drafted. In the first round. Yeah. <laughs> in the first round. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. That is the matchup I'm looking for, though. And as you're going to talk about, we're going into a college football lull after this next week. So a lot to get into. You know who's not in a lull? It's a team that is looking good. It's Notre Dame. Um, not that Northwestern is some powerhouse, but Notre Dame is continuing to, to cement themselves as a playoff team. And I think that they will be. Tell us about this one. Well, that was on the game. I mean, I went to the Penn State Michigan game, which we're waiting to talk about a little bit, but um, because there was not much to talk about the game. But I was at the bar watching, and I, as someone who was rooting for Northwestern in the game, I thought there was a chance that they, you know, Notre Dame's up 24 14, game sealed. And they get their punt blocked. I mean, how are you up 10 yeah. points? Do everything. And then Northwestern goes, scores a touchdown, makes it 24-21. But um, Notre Dame was able to come down, close it out, and win the game And at Northwestern. So it was a good win. But, you know, again, it's just when you watch – I was watching Notre Dame and Alabama at the exact same time. There's, there's no comparison between the two teams playing. 
Ira, I know that you just love uh, love when Oklahoma and teams like this way because you love no defense, and that's exactly what we got with Oklahoma and Texas Tech, fifty-one to forty-six. Well, that game was on after the after the other game that went on forever. So that game lasted when they're when they're scoring. Yeah. The Oklahoma had six hundred eighty-three total yards. Kyler Murray, who's going to be a number one draft pick or was the number one draft pick in baseball, is their quarterback uh, for Oklahoma. Was just amazing, but. Texas Tech was up 24-14, but when you're Texas Tech and you're up for 2014, unless you have Pat Mahomes as your quarterback, you're not going to hold that lead. So it was just back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it was so funny. Here's the scoring that happened. It was Texas Tech field goal, Oklahoma touchdown, Texas Tech touchdown, Oklahoma touchdown, Texas Tech touchdown. It was like touchdown, touchdown, touchdown every time someone got the ball. And the funny, it was a defensive play that turned the game because Texas Tech scored a touchdown to make it 42-40. They go for two and Oklahoma returned it for a two-point conversion the other way. That made it 44-40, and, and it was, that was the difference in the game, really. Um, let's go. This is uh, maybe the game of the week. It was number 13, West Virginia, versus number 17, Texas. West Virginia got pretty much tested here, and, but they came out. Ben didn't break. I watched. I didn't watch the game. I saw the highlights of it because I was at the Penn State Michigan was going on. But you're playing your West Virginia. You have one loss. And so we're talking about these teams that have those, quote, one losses. And you're down, you score a touchdown, and your tie, extra point puts you in overtime, but you decide to go for two. And then they run the first play, and there was like a a timeout after they ran the play, and they ran it again um, and scored. I mean, they went for it all. It was just cool. Tins cojones. Yes, and Will Greer, 346 yards, three touchdowns, uh, keeping them in the mix for the national championship uh, was just – it was a good – I mean, it was was a great win for them to win at Texas. And it's so funny. If you look at the past like three years, the West Virginia-Texas games have been like this, like down to the final play of the game. It's 7.58, Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo for Michigan, Penn State. Ira, if you are not a UCF Knight, it's a sad state of affairs for Florida football. And it's kind of sad for UCF, too, winning a game and still dropping in the rankings. These guys can't catch a break as far as the, the, the seeding goes for the playoffs. Well, first of all, like Missouri beats Florida. Florida's now 6-3. and three. They, they probably, you know, they're going to get OK Bowl. They have South Carolina, Idaho, and Florida State left. But uh, Florida State lost NC State. They're now Florida State's now four and five. They have at Notre Dame, Boston College, and Florida home. They're not going to make. They have to win six games to go to the bowl games. They're not going to a bowl game. I mean, they might be four and eight with those that yeah. schedule. Duke beat Miami twenty and twelve. Miami's now five and four. Who we talked about was one of the top twenty teams at the start of the season. Miami's now lost three in a row. They finished with Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Pitt at Virginia Tech, at Georgia Tech, and Pitt at home. I mean, they could they could arguably finish five and they not make the be in the bowls either. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just uh, it's just uh, amazing. I mean, it's just amazing that the I mean, right now they're slated for the first responder bowl, bowl December twenty sixth. And UCF beat Temple in a lackluster game. And then they drop in the polls. So. Yeah, and they they don't have anything really left to bolster them up the polls. Playing against some weak teams, they're going to win. You know, they're probably going to have another undefeated season and not make the playoff, which is it, it, I feel really bad for you. Well, we'll go over in a second after the Michigan Penn State came out. There is there is still a way, but it's going to be harder for them to say no. Seeing how the pollsters are, are picking them, uh, do you think that um, Jimbo Fisher really looks pretty good now that uh, Florida State is in a free fall right after? Yes, leaves? looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it looks great for him. You think Mark Rick will be out in Miami? No, I think Miami will get this turned around. That. They have either both of the all these programs have got to get. There's so many great high school quarterbacks. Could they please sign somebody who's going to be a great quarterback? They're all yeah. missing the quarterbacks. Both Florida, Florida State, and Miami are all missing that quarterback. That Will Greer is playing in West Virginia, which is nowhere around here. Yeah, I, I think they might have made a mistake on Cozy Perry. I, I know he was the you know number one dual threat QB in the country, but he doesn't look like a 
Shortly doesn't look like an NFL quarterback. I know he's young, but he doesn't look like their quarterback of the future either. You want to do Michigan, Penn State? I know that you, you were there. So, oh, no, were, were, you're, you're always there. I was the Michigan, Penn State. Yeah, of course. So tell us about well, it. Well, first of all, Michigan's like college town America. Like if you're going to do a video, it's like that. It was cool. It's, you have the, the small houses and the streets and all the little shops and the bars and the frat houses all mixed in. You could just walk around. I mean, you don't have to like football or anything. It's just pretty cool. And it wasn't freezing cold. Like, so whatever. So it was sort of a nice time, but it was like block after block. You can walk from the stadium from downtown and go through the frat houses and the bars. People are tailgating. They're eating in the restaurant. And it's the stadium you walk down. So it doesn't look that big when you walk in the stadium. And then you walk down. It's 110,000, 11,000 yeah. people. Uh, it was it's funny. It has a feel of being in the Ivy League. I mean, it's it's that type of feel, but it's like we have a great – it's like if Harvard had the best – if Harvard had Alabama's team. They have this great basketball team, this great football team, and it's one of the toughest academic schools to get into. Uh, but it was neat. They have – the stadium is amazing. It is so big, and it does feel like there's 111,000. I go to all the Penn State games. We get 107,000. It feels it, bigger. Uh, it feels a little – they have only benches like Penn State has, but it's there's only like one level. Uh, it was these huge – Huge um, on both sides were their skyboxes that they've added recently. But it was look, they had the bands perform together, the teams run out at the same time. They're, there's just a lot with the stadium, the tradition. The people who go to Michigan are very proud of their school, rightfully oh, yeah. so. But they're they're all in maize and blue. They have their traditions, they have their songs, they sing it. The band is excited. It is it is definitely something like that. And Penn State has done. They lost. Uh, uh, 42 they lost by 35 42 points uh last two time, two years ago and they lost 42 7 this year it was a total demolishing i mean it's just they were upset penn state had a chance it was 14 nothing and they blocked a field goal they ran it back for a touchdown and and they and the ref said no it was a penalty next play penn state fumbles the ball this is a penn state team that i mean we had such great expectations for uh announced third loss uh, just terrible. I mean, they were McSorley, the the Heisman Trophy candidate was 5 for 13, 85 yards, one interception. Michigan's defense is tremendous. I mean, they had 403 yards to Penn State's uh, um, uh, 118 rushing. It was just a disaster. At one point, the rushing numbers were 115 for Michigan, minus 6 for Penn State. <laughs> the fans <laughs> cheered when Penn State, it was like in the set, late in the second quarter, got in the positives for positive yardage for, for rushing. The time possession was 38-22. This Michigan State team, Michigan team, is just cresting at the exact right time. Let's talk uh, NCAA playoff picture, Ira. How do you see this shaking up? All right. Well, I love talking about this. When I was a, <laughs> when, I, when the USA Today used to have the stats of the teams where the records came out, I would pour over them, and I mm. still do. I look at like who they play, what's going to happen, because I always wanted Penn State to win, and who had to lose, who didn't have to lose. And I talked to little kids, all, you know, who who follows college football, and they do the same thing. They're like, "Oh, this has to happen. If this happened, Penn State with three losses could still play for the national title." <laughs> Well, Bama, they have Mississippi State, Auburn, and the SEC Championship game. They can lose once and they're in. Clemson has at Boston College next week, Duke, South Carolina, and the championship game. They can lose once. I think they're in. Notre Dame has Florida State, Syracuse, USC. They can't lose. They're out. Georgia, they beat Kentucky this week. I'm telling you, if Georgia wins and Georgia wins out, they have Auburn, Georgia Tech, they beat Alabama, they're in. I mean, Georgia controls their own destiny. If they're beating Alabama, no one's leaving them if out with one Alabama, loss. If they, yeah, they, they, if they beat Alabama, they're in. They have to have one loss, beat Alabama, they're in. Now, after that, we assume that Bama's going to beat Georgia. And then the question is, I think the Big Ten team gets in, either Michigan or Ohio State. Michigan is Indiana, Ohio State, and Ohio State is Michigan State and Michigan. The weird thing is that then they play in the Big Ten championship game. 
that could be like Northwestern with like four losses. Yeah. I mean, the, the other side of that conference and the Clemson is the same situation. Clemson could play Pitt, who has been outscored by like 50 points this year. <laughs> and then the uh, then and finally, af- after if either those teams have two losses, West Virginia and Oklahoma, West Virginia has Oklahoma State. Both teams have to play Oklahoma State, which is pretty interesting. Then they play each other, mm-hmm. and then and then they have the conference title game, which is they play again. I really think that both those teams are going to have two losses because they're either going one's going to win, the other's going to beat. And then if somehow there's total chaos of everything, Washington State, which I watched the most exciting game between they played California. It was like at two in the morning, and I was watching the end of that game. Washington State still has one loss. They could win the Pac-12 um, and still get in. Their their quarterback is. They have their Munshaw is just tremendous. He was a very he's very exciting. No one's ever watched it. They play in the middle of the night. He mm-hmm. went. He was at Alabama. He was a third string quarterback. Alabama. Really? He would Very have been true. on this Alabama team, and he transferred. And he's he's tremendous. So next week, what do we have? We have Ohio State at Michigan State is really the close game. Michigan State's favorite underdog by three and a half. TCU at West Virginia three thirty games. Oklahoma State Oklahoma. Washington State Colorado and, and then Michigan is a thirty nine point favorite over Rutgers. And tomorrow night, uh, Saturday next Saturday night is Auburn at Georgia fourteen and a half Florida State uh, Notre Dame is favored by 18 over Florida State wow. and Clemson's at Boston College favored by 17 but watch football this weekend because the next weekend is that's when Alabama plays the Citadel there's no good games at all there's really this weekend the Thanksgiving Day weekend and then that's it they have two more weeks of, of all these college football games you know Ira I, I don't think I'm the only person in the world who feels this way but I like college basketball better than the NBA and it's kicking off soon and what should we be watching out for Tomorrow night, Kentucky Duke. And Duke is seated ranked fourth in the country. I'm telling you, everyone, I watched him play. I've seen this. Zion Williams is, is like LeBron James was 18 years old. Watch Duke Cam Reddish. I can't believe they're ranked fourth. I don't know what. This team mm-hmm. is going to win the national championship. And if they don't, I, this is going to be the worst coaching. There's If they stay healthy, I cannot see them losing to anybody. Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, they are amazing. This is the, one of the greatest freshman class. This is the best freshman class of all time. And Zion Williamson is that player. These are, they're gonna have, they can have the top three players in the draft. Absolutely crazy. Um, before we wrap this up, Ira, I know you want to talk a little bit about a uh, little bit about golf, and so do I, because weird things have been happening with the number one all year. <laughs> weird things. How about when Tiger was number one for like it seemed like a decade, and now in one year you've had uh, Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, and, and Dustin Johnson number one. Um, Justin Rose wins a tournament called the Turkish Open, and now he's number one, <laughs> taking it from Brooks Kepka. Uh, it's crazy how this is happening because it's weird, but it means something because everyone says, who's the end of the year number one? One thing is, who's number one right now? And this whole end of the year ranking, and it's weird that Justin Rose wins the Turkish Open, and that somehow propels him to be the end of the year number one. Very weird how that worked out. What about tennis, I? Well, that changed too. Djokovic lost in the finals at the Paris Open and uh, Nadal he passed Nadal so now Djokovic's now the number one player in the world and he could end the year number one so it's weird how golf and tennis and that tournament in Vegas that they played I was there last year and Bubba Watson played and I didn't know any and I know a lot about golf there was nobody this year they had I wasn't there and my friend who goes to tournament saying we got Bryson DeChambeau we got, who wanted Ricky Fowler Jordan Spieth Wed Simpson Tony Finau and the whole Ryder 
Cup team. Yeah. I, I always wonder that. I'm like, it's November, late October, early November, Vegas, fun, like, let's go there. I think they finally figured out this might be a tournament that you can just have a <laughs> fun time and go. I mean, it's not like the worst place in the yeah. world to be. No, I of mean, course. My friend, Brooks, Brooks Kepka was there, and my and I was saying, well, is he playing in the, I didn't see him listen to the plural. He goes, oh, he's not there. He's just going out to watch his uh, uh, his friends and have fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's a, I follow Ricky Fowler on social media. It seems like what uh, what he was getting into. Before we talk about what you're doing uh, this week, I think I might have a more exciting week than you coming up. Ira. No, have impossible. You, have you heard of stadium links before? No, tell me. They do. They travel the country and they turn baseball stadiums into golf courses. And you you say you know like you're hit from right field to a, a green that's at second base. And you go around the stadium playing nine holes. Uh, they started off doing it in Petco in San Diego. They're doing it at City Field. So I'm going up to New York. The tickets sold out in two hours. All, every single tea time. It's New York. So I'm going to do that next Saturday. It'll be 45 degrees, and I'll be up in the, the bleachers at City Field hitting golf ball. So Wait, where's the, where's the holes? On the, on the actual grass. So like, like I said, there'll be a hole at second base. But you're hitting it from you know, 200 yards away. And then you, you know that you move to another spot of the field, and you're hitting somewhere else. I'll show you picks when we get done. Can you right. win this? They're, it's you're playing against your group, so it's four people, and then they have a bunch of skills competitions afterwards. Pretty cool little thing, though. But yeah, it's something that they're doing now. I think they're in about twelve stadiums now. So they travel around in the off season, set this up for a weekend, and you get to crank golf balls at stadiums. Pretty interesting stuff, right? That's cool. Yeah. What about you? What are you doing? Uh, I would say uh, Steelers Carolina Thursday night. It's going to be, we talk about NFL, the NFL schedule next week is pretty weak. I mean, there's really not, New Orleans is at Cincinnati, the Steelers are at Carolina on Thursday night. Um, not much else out on the, uh, the Sunday schedule is like really good teams playing bad teams. I mean, Arizona is at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a 17 point favorite. Yeah, and so now you're starting to get that time of season where other teams are just, teams are playing for the playoff positioning and others are just giving it up trying to get a draft position. But I'll go to Thursday night's game and then Penn State, Wisconsin on Saturday. We are out of time. Great show tonight. I want to thank Bob Moore, the former Chiefs PR director, for coming by and talking about that amazing young team. And then also Darren Prince, uh, owner of Prince Marketing Group. You can pick up his book, Aiming High, available now. On behalf of Ira, Mike Balsamo, let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.